And this is basically the same uh, when it comes to FTP and VO2max and VLA-max. If you have a high VO2max, it will lift up your FTP power. And if you have a high VLA-max, it will decrease your FTP power. The Trap from Seoul, 169. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and on today's episode, I interview Sebastian Weber. Sebastian is a sports scientist and highly successful coach in both professional sports, where he has worked with athletes like Peter Sagan, Tony Martin, and Andre Greipel, and and with age group endurance athletes as well, in particular as the founder of uh, the German coaching business uh, Staps, which is one of the largest, if not the largest and most successful in the country. He is also the co-founder of the physiological performance software Inside, which I have mentioned before in Q&A number 20, which I'll link to in the show notes and which we'll talk about more towards the end of this interview. One of the most important factors behind Sebastian's success is his knowledge about exercise physiology and uh, the metabolism of endurance sports, and importantly, how to apply that knowledge in practice. So that is our main topic of today. So after this episode, my hope, hope is that you two can, can better understand how uh, exercise metabolism works, but also how you can benefit from that and and design your training to to optimize for your particular individual uh, physiology. So in the intro, we get into things like what functional threshold power really is, or uh, why it why it exists, and how you can train to improve it. And uh, that is through the only two variables that uh, that you really can change to improve FTP. Those two variables are VO2 max or your maximum aerobic capacity and VLA max, which is your glycolytic capacity. So we'll get into that and how that interplay is uh, pretty much the only thing that determines your FTP. And uh, that is why you need to focus on changing one or the other, perhaps both potentially, if you want to improve your FTP and not focus so much on the FTP itself, because that doesn't really matter. We'll also talk about how those two same variables, VO2 max and VLA max, determine your fat and carb oxidation at any intensity, including submaximal intensities. So these are critical even if you're training for an Ironman race, or it's it's not just even though they have the words max or the postscripts max in them, it does not mean it has to be maximal intensity. They are super important at any given intensity. Before we get into the interview, big thanks to our sponsor, Precision Hydration, that you can find on precisionhydration.com. We're still in the indoor training season, and one very common mistake that I see, and I've had some discussions with some of my athletes about this as well, when performance drops towards the end of, in particular, longer sessions indoors, is uh, were you hydrated enough? Did you hydrate well before the workout? Did you stay hydrated enough in the workout? Precision hydration helps you get your hydration right. It all starts with a free online sweat test uh, that you can take on precisionhydration.com. 
that's where you can take a quick quiz of uh, 10 questions, I think, which will give you a very good ballpark estimate for how much electrolytes you use in your sweat. And then depending on the duration of your your indoor workout, then that can help you inform whether you should be replacing electrolytes in those sessions. And this can be particularly important if you're doing two-a-day sessions. So let's say you do a bike workout in the morning and a run in the evening or afternoon. In that case, it uh, makes sense to be particularly careful with how you hydrate before, during and after your bike workout so that you don't arrive at the run workout and are completely dehydrated. If you are going to order any of Precision Hydration's electrolyte products, use the promo code Show, all one word, all caps, and I will give you your first box for free. Without any further ado, let's go into the interview with Sebastian Weber. Today's guest on that triathlon show is uh, Sebastian Weber. Sebastian, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. It's a great pleasure. And of course, it's not the first time that uh, we're talking, but uh, the first time that we record the talk. So, so that will be, be a new one. So can you start by just telling us a little bit more about yourself and uh, your background? Well, I guess, you know, when it comes uh, to my background related to triathlon or even sports, so I have been, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm a sports scientist by training. I studied sports science and actually also molecular human biology. And I have been, uh, I've been involved in like performance assessment and uh, coaching initially started out um, coaching like amateur recreational athletes, like marathon running and triathlon. Um, I guess almost 20 years ago and then started to have my 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 own human performance lab and coaching business called Steps uh, in, in Germany, in Europe, um, which eventually became one of the, you know, most successful and biggest coaching businesses down there. And then some people might know me for my uh, history in um, coaching and professional cycling, especially. So, I've started coaching and being like the head coach or head sports scientist uh, or performance manager or whatever you want to call that on teams like, if you might remember, um, HTC High Road, Columbia, uh, Katusha, Cannondale, and so on. Um, worked with some professional triathletes as well along the way, but mostly like with, uh, with cyclists, like the likes of like Peter Sagan, Tony Martin, Greipel, some others. Um yeah, and so that has been like my main work in the past decade or one and a half decades, so to speak. Um, and um, since a couple of years, I, I like two, three years, I moved away a little bit from that. Um, still coach some individual athletes. Um, have done some work lately with like also again with triathlon. Like uh, did some stuff with guys like Cameron Wirth, and then. Um, these days I'm, I'm mostly consulting and helping, um, teams and organizations in different sports. Um, we do a lot of, do a lot in swimming and professional swimming, Olympic swimming, um, some help with like kayaking and yeah, and all kinds of sports by now, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, your software inside is, uh, is used in, in a lot of those sports, if not all of those sports. And we'll get to that towards the end of the interview. And I have actually talked a little bit about that in a previous episode a couple of weeks ago on one of my first AQ&As. But uh, let's uh, get into the topic of uh, of our uh, metabolism and how it works in endurance sports. So can you start by giving us a very brief overview 
of our metabolic systems that we use. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, um, kind of my background or in other words, the only thing I maybe know something about. Um, yeah, so so metabolic pathways, I mean, um, as an overview, as you say, I, you know, don't want to have this sound too much like 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 a school here or something but basically there are three metabolic systems how a muscle can produce energy and when i say energy i mean really the energy that you need for locomotion that you need to swim bike or run um, and this energy can only come from three different sources so to speak it's either by breaking down creatine phosphate which is a pretty fast source of energy um Or it's by something that's called the glycolysis, where you basically transform glucose or carbohydrate into a pyruvate or lactate. And then one of the most important things, especially for triathlon, is the aerobic metabolism, where you use oxygen to um, to burn things, so to speak, to make it very simple. Um, so to burn fuels, so basically you burn the pyruvate or lactate that came out of the glycolysis, or uh, you're burning... Uh, what comes out of the beta oxidation, so basically the fat metabolism. So three things, breaking down, creating phosphate, glycolysis, and aerobic metabolism, or if you want the more fancy way, oxidative phosphorylation, uh, what you would call it. So that's the three ways, and these are the only three ways how energy or power is produced on the bike, on the run, in the swim. Uh, and whenever you see a power number, whenever you have a certain certain energy um demand then it's covered by a composition of all those three systems simultaneously yeah and, and just so that all the listeners are on the same page uh, glycolysis that you mentioned there as the second pathway that's uh, often referred to as well as as the anaerobic system because that system doesn't depend on oxygen to to produce energy which is true but then um it's like from those three systems only one is aerobic like the aerobic ox uh, the oxidative uh, phosphorylation so aerobic system and the anaerobic you need to differentiate basically it's true glycolysis is anaerobic Uh, but also the breakdown of creatine phosphate is also anaerobic. So yeah. anaerobic-wise, you have two systems. However, um, if you want to, like from a practical application point of view, breaking down creatine phosphate is not of any significant practical application in triathlon. Yeah, because it lasts like a couple of seconds or a few seconds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's not it's not really it's not really um, needed. Uh, not not really important for what you're doing in triathlon. Yeah. So can we take a few examples? Like for example, one at different intensities is what I'm getting at. Like what? How is your power composed what is it composed of when we're working at a very high intensity versus like a moderate intensity or maybe like a threshold intensity versus a, a very like an ironman race intensity or something like that well look i mean i mean the simple or short answer would be yeah um the shorter the duration and the higher the intensity the more you tend towards using your your glycolytic and um, creating phosphate systems or the anaerobic systems and then the longer you go and the lower intensity obviously the more you are depending on your aerobic systems um, let's 
in general, that's true. Um, but then how much you depend on one or the other system, uh, that can differ tremendously from one athlete to the other, even so for the same effort. So there is not one simple answer saying, oh yeah, for a 30-minute effort, you are using whatever, 95% aerobic and 5% anaerobic or something. Uh, because that depends on the athlete. And when I say that depends on the athlete, it doesn't mean that it's given by genetics, but that depends on the training status of the athlete, right? Um, so it's a phenotype of the athlete, but it's basically uh, more precisely um, how the athlete is trained. Like, yeah, I mean, so to speak, if you have a higher anaerobic capacity, if your ability to produce energy in the anaerobic pathway uh, is, 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 is developed on a very high level, then of course you can use a system and you will use a system and therefore then maybe not 5%, but maybe 8% reliant on that system. Yeah. Okay. So, so let's uh, go into some, uh, some metrics. Uh, VO2 max, if we start there, uh, wh what is it? Well, VO2 max, I mean, again, let's say the short answer, the short answer that you will maybe hear everywhere is like, yeah, that's your maximum aerobic oxygen uptake. And, this is what most people have heard and this is what like it's how it's accepted but then i think we should come to the you know we should come to the to the question and say okay why does everybody know that why has everybody heard of that and why do people think it's important and i think asking this question helps to understand why it is important and what it really is so a little bit provocative i could say it's not important at all like you as a triathlete you don't need to care what your view to max or your auction uptake is. Um, what I'm trying to say with that a little provocative is that the, the auction uptake itself is not something we are interested in. The question we are trying to answer is how much energy, how much power, or if you want to have it in a more scientific way, how much ATP, which is like the currency for energy in the, in the, in the metabolism, how much of this can you produce in your aerobic metabolism? And the problem is, you cannot just take some kind of fancy sensor and stick it into the muscle and stick it into the membrane of your mitochondria, into your muscle cell, and measure this power output or this ATP production, if you want, directly. That's not really possible um, easily in like an athlete. So the good thing is, and this is why everybody knows VO2max, that we know that it's known for decades that the amount of aerobic energy production is absolutely proportional to the amount of oxygen consumption. So that means your VO2 or your VO2max is nothing else and nothing more than just a marker for aerobic energy production because we know which is molecule which is milliliter or whatever you want to call it or look at it of oxygen you produce energy in your aerobic system and because it's absolutely proportional all it means is that your oxygen uptake is a marker quantitative marker on how much energy you produce in your in your aerobic system and there are conversion factors you can easily convert for example oxygen uptake and power output for example Right, uh, because that's basically what you're what you're looking at here. So, if you bring it full circle, when you said that we don't need to care what our VO two max is, uh, can you can you explain in one sentence what you what you meant there? Because now you 
turn it around and explain <laughs> that well we absolutely we're it's an endurance sport with with which depends highly on the aerobic met- metabolism and right that yeah too so yeah, proportional to yeah sorry sorry if i add confusion here no what i'm saying is what i'm saying is it is not in the first place the oxygen uptake you're interested in it's important the point i'm trying to make is that it's important to understand that the oxygen uptake is a marker it is nothing else than a marker for the amount of aerobic energy production yes. and this is why you care yeah this is why you care this is why, why you want to know it it's not per se that you're interested in oxygen uptake you're interested in producing power in the aerobic pathway and this is proportional to your oxygen uptake and it only comes from a practical application again if we would have another way an easier way to measure that, to assess this ability of our athletes, we maybe would stick to another, you know, method. But I can I can buy a machine, I can go even on eBay and buy a used VO2 analyzer, or I can buy whatever VO2 master online or whatever kind of device, um, and measure oxygen uptake. And thereby it becomes accessible. And thereby it becomes accessible to understand what is the capacity or the performance of my aerobic energy production. Yeah, yeah, and we'll get to a few examples, but but it will become clear that uh, a few of the differences, the subtle differences between uh, your like VO two max is not the be all end all because how much energy you produce aerobically is, is not solely dependent on on that, I guess. Or there there is another factor that we'll we'll talk about next, I guess, and uh, which factors in to how much energy you use and how you what substrates you metabolize and that and that second parameter is uh, the lactate building rate or VLA max. Yeah, so VLA max is something you could simply um, define it as so to speak the counterpart of the VO2 max, which is a little bit kind of true when you look at the practical application in triathlon. Basically, what it says, so to speak, is like you say, is a maximum lactate production rate. Um, it's it's nothing else than actually, you know, same as VO2 max. VO2 max is a marker for the maximum capacity or performance of your aerobic system. VLA max is a marker for the maximum capacity of performance, better to say, of your glycolytic system. So, you know, similar to the VO2 max, where I said, well, you can just take your biochemistry textbook and see that every time you produce energy or ATP in the aerobic metabolism, it goes along with the consumption of oxygen. You can take the same look into your same biochemistry textbook um, at the glycolysis, and you will see that every time you produce lactate in the glycolytic system, there's a production of ATP attached to that, so of, so of energy. So same thing. VLMX or lactate production rate is nothing more or less than a valid marker to understand what is the glycolytic or anaerobic energy production. Um, so, yeah, we have yeah. different systems in our body to produce energy and to assess aerobic system, it's VO2 max, and to assess anaerobic system or glycolytic system more precisely, it's VLA max. Simple as that. And uh, VLA max might be highly important to, to sort of maximize for for athletes like like sprinters in cycling teams and uh, if we give an example of, of where it becomes relevant to really have a high lactate building rate and, and be able to really tap into that system yeah i mean that's on first glance obviously uh, seems very logic and that's what it is um like you say if you have short-term effort 
you can take a sprinter and a cycling team, but even more obvious, maybe a 100 meter sprinter or, you know, a 50 meters freestyler in swimming or, um, some a football player who's, who needs to run 40 meters uh, to sprint. Um, they're obviously anaerobic energy production is of highly importance. And they're obviously, you need a high glycolytic energy production and thereby a high VLA max. Um, so, that's definitely what it is. Um, it's definitely that for those kind of sports, uh, you see a uh, high VLMX in the athletes. You see a high glycolytic energy production because they directly need this power, this performance in order to perform. Yeah, yeah. And this is something that uh, for, for coaches, when when we get new athletes, why it's quite important to know what sort of sports they have done previously. Let's say we have a new triathlete, but they've done some uh, team sports or power sports before. It, it can be quite insightful already. You, you can infer a lot from, of the athlete from just getting to know what they've done in, in their past. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, you might see, you might see, you will, or you, you will see tremendously differences in VLMX. Uh, for those different kind of populations or, or types of athletes, so to speak. Um, and you will also see it, it changing quite a lot. Um, you know, whatever this, whatever kind of training they're doing. So especially now in this time of the year, in the winter time, you have people who maybe spend some significant time training in the gym. And if you think about doing whatever, 15 repetitions with a high weight and a high speed, especially when you do it at high speed, that's a lot of power. That's a lot of power in a short amount of time, and this highly depends on your glycolytic system. So it's not uncommon to see recreational amateur triathletes or cyclists or runners uh, coming off the off-season, spending three or four months regular gym training, um, and then showing elevated uh, VLMX or elevated glycolytic capacities. And uh, if we tie it all together with FTP, uh, can you explain what that really is, or anaerobic threshold, whatever you want to call it, and how it relates to VO2 max and VLA max? Yeah, um, sure. So, I mean, FTP is kind of, you know, the modern um, power training term for anaerobic threshold, right? I mean, that's where it comes from, functional threshold power. Um, I mean, basically what it is, it's this kind of old but still valid and important concept of there is an anaerobic threshold. There is an intensity, this is a very good uh, documentator, there's an intensity, uh, a maximum intensity at which, so to speak, your lactate level stabilizes. That's why it's also called the maximum lactate steady state. So it's an intensity where you can go uh, you can keep going uh, to maximum intensity which you can hold without accumulation of fat, of lactate and all the fatigue that goes along with that phenomenon. Um, so it's related, it's not the same, but it's related to your whatever 10K running speed to your one hour time trial performance. And statistically, it's even related to like your marathon running speed or half marathon running speed. And most people know about this. I mean, everybody might have heard here about FTP and so on and so forth. Yet, the least amount of people ask the question, okay, why does it even exist? Like if my FTP is 300 watts, why is it at 300 watts? And why is the FTP of Tony Martin at like 450 watts? Like, and I'm not asking this question in terms of, oh yeah, because he's professional or because he is world champion. No, 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 that's the other way around. He is world champion or has been world champion because his FTP is that high. So the question is, physiologically, 
what determines this threshold. And the, the truth is that your VO2 max and your VLA max determine approximately 97.5%. So almost all the power output F at FDP is determined by these two systems. And basically why this is, is because your aerobic system basically defines how much lactate you can combust. Because this is how you combust lactate. Everybody knows that. You do an interval training between the intervals. You do easy pedaling, easy running to combust lactate. So the aerobic system determines how much lactate you can combust. And your glycolytic system, your VLA max, well, I mean, that's lactate production, right? So this determines how much lactate you produce. So these two combined, VO2 max and VLA max, determine what is your FDP, what is your threshold power. Um, and therefore, if you want to train FDP, if you want to increase your FDP, you are better off understanding what is your VO2 max or VLA max, because then simplified, you can start to understand which knob, so to speak, you have to turn. Because... Can you give an example or, or a couple of examples there with what, how, like if, if we have two riders with, uh, with the same FTP, for example, I know you did in a YouTube presentation that we can link to in the show notes, you had, had a great example of two riders with the same FTP, but very different metabolic profiles. And, yeah, uh, I mean, I mean, yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, um, you can, you know, you can view that as basically your FTP, so to speak, is, 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 is like, that's like how much money you have in your bank account, right? And then you can come to a certain amount of your bank account by having either earning more and spending more or earning less and spending less, so to speak, right? So it's always this balance of these two systems. And, and it's funny. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a funny special thing in endurance sport that people train for FTP and even pay people to help them work on this number work on their power output without these people trying to help them understand the mechanics behind it what i'm trying to say is that i can go to a physiotherapist or i can go to a doctor and ask for a prescription i get a i get a rehabilitation program from a physiotherapist or i get some kind of medication from my doctor and i'm awaiting that they un understand the mechanism why are they are prescribing this kind of therapy and the phenomenon we have in endurance sports a lot is that people are prescribing training programs without really knowing the mechanics on how this training program will work. It's more like, oh, yeah, this has worked with 15 other athletes in the last three years, and therefore I think it should work with you. If this happens to me at a doctor or at a physiotherapist, I would not be happy, and hopefully you wouldn't. We would also not be happy with that kind of answer. We say, yeah, but what is the mechanism? Why do I have to do this exercise? What is the mechanism? How and why does it help me to cure whatever my knee pain or my back pain or whatever my problem is? Or on a biochemistry level, why should I take this kind of medication? What does it do to my body to solve this issue? And this is, sorry for... <laughs> Sorry for the low answer. And this is basically the same uh, when it comes to FTP and VO2 max and VLA max. If you have a high VO2 max, it will lift up your FTP power. And if you have a high VLA max, it will decrease your FTP power. Okay? So, for example, you can have a 300 watts FTP for, let's say, two 75 kilogram athletes. You can have 
an FTP of 300 watts with one athlete having a VO2max of 65 and a VLMX of uh, 0.3, for example, or 0.4. And another athlete might have the same FTP with whatever a VO2max of 76, so close to a professional, but then maybe a VLMX of 0.7. And if you don't know that, if you don't know what is what is behind this, how my FTP is created, what is the mechanism behind that? Well, how can you really come up with with a very precise and focused training program? Because with one athlete, you would maybe want to decrease the VLA max because the VO2 max is already super high. And with the other athlete, you already have a low VLA max and you maybe want to increase the VO2 max, right? So two different, completely different uh, training programs you would prescribe for those kind of athletes yeah yeah exactly and we'll get into the training in just a little bit but just to wrap up what you said there you talked earlier about turning one of two knobs you have the vo2 max knob and the vla max knob and for that first rider that had the uh, the lower uh, the low vla max uh, but also lower vo2 max compared to the other rider you would probably want to turn the vo2 max knob and for that second rider that had a professional level VO2 max, but a, a high VLA max. If you want to increase their FTP, you want to turn that VLA max knob and you want to turn it down so that you can you can elevate that FTP. And uh, so this is just to, to summarize what you, what you said there. Uh, just as a side note, I used to work in the medical devices and uh, I've interacted a lot with, with medical doctors and uh, it's quite clear to me now that unfortunately they, they don't really know <laughs> at, at all times what, uh, why they're prescribing what they're doing. But uh, somebody has made a decision and uh, there are some regulations in place what are the typical procedure for treating certain symptoms and certain diseases. So that's why they do what they're doing. Unfortunately, that's the way it works. Maybe it's different in Germany, but that's the way it works. <laughs> <laughs> well, but somebody who made this decision understands the mechanism. Yeah. I mean, do. there's no medication coming to the market saying, oh, we have some kind of, you know, chemical substance here. Let's let's see what it does, and then we can see how we use it. It's the other way around. We understand yeah. the mechanism, what it does, and then, the pre- then we prescribe it for different therapies. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> okay, so uh, before we get into the training uh, discussion, let's talk about uh, substrate utilization as well. And uh, uh, aerobically, we use carbohydrates and fats for energy. And how does the interplay between VO2 max and VLA max determine how those substrates are are used as fuel? Yeah, so this goes a little bit back to, you know, when we when we introduced VLA max today and we said, yeah, you know, that's glycolytic energy and that's that's important for your sprinter and your football player and your whatever. Um and maybe some people then turned off and say, yeah, yeah, but I'm a triathlete, I don't care, right? I don't need to sprint. That's true. And for that reason, you would not be interested um, you would not be interested in your VLMX. On the other hand, for example, there's this quote, let's say, from the coach of Jan Frodeno saying, you need to know what you need to work on when you know the VLMX, right? And the reason for this is, and the reason why you should care as an Ironman triathlete or as a 7.3 or even as Olympic distance or half marathon, why you should care is because... Um, the VLA max, so your glycolytic system, how, if it's, if it's trained better, if it's a higher capacity, if your VLA max is higher, if you can produce more energy in the anaerobic or glycolytic pathway, that means that you need a substrate, you need a fuel to do that. And this is glucose. 
the only the only source of energy, the only substrate your muscle or your body can use to produce lactate in the glycolysis to produce energy there is glucose. And that means that the higher your glycolytic system is trained and developed, and therefore the higher the VLA max is, the higher your gluc glucose utilization is. And this is true also in submaximum conditions. This is true also in endurance conditions. To, so long story short, if you have, as an athlete, if you have a high VLA max, it means not only that you can produce a lot of power in a short amount of time, it also means that in endurance sports, like endurance running, endurance cycling, endurance swimming, you depend, your, your metabolism depends more on glucose. And therefore, you burn more of this precious fuel and you use less fat. And there obviously becomes super important for any triathlete for like the performance in a triathlon. Yeah. So, so as an example, if we have two athletes with the same FTP, we have the same two athletes that we talked about, but they have different VO2 max and VLA max, and they both go and do an Ironman. They they ride at the same intensity, uh, whatever that is, let's say 70% of FTP. Yeah. Yeah. And and then the 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 one rider that's have that has that 0.9 the high VLA max is going to be oxidizing a lot more carbohydrate than exactly. the one that has a 0.3 uh, VLA max. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So you can the easy way to understand it is that um, glucose or pyruvate or lactate is a primary fuel. Whenever, whenever you have a lot of this going on, whenever your metabolism is producing a lot of uh, energy by using glucose, so every time you produce a lot of lactate, so to speak, you're not burning fat. And let me add this. Every athlete out there knows that. If, if you as an athlete do, um, do a hard interval training and you do some easy effort, in between the intervals. Let's stick to our example. We have an F, we have an FTP of 300 watts, which means maybe our fat metabolism or base training or long, slow distance training, whatever you call that, you maybe do at 200 watts or 180 watts. Let's say you do a hard interval training. You do whatever, four by four minutes at 330, 340 watts with six minutes in recovery at this 180, 200 watts. Normally, this is the power output you would see for your long, slow distance training and you assume you do, you burn a lot of fat. However, everybody somehow knows that in the six minutes as a recovery, even though you are at the low intensity for your long, slow distance training, you're not burning any fat because you're only doing this rest, you're doing this recovery, not only but partly because you want to burn those lactate. So what this tells you already, what I'm trying to say here is whenever there's lactate, and whenever there's a lot of lactate production, a lot of lactate concentration, you're not using fat. Okay, and this is the same mechanism. Your body, it's much, much easier for your muscles to use uh, glucose and pyruvate or lactate. So whenever this is present, whenever this is there, you're using let, less fat. You can also say just the lactate pushes, uh, the glucose pushes the fat out of the metabolism. So whenever this system is strongly developed, less fat burning. And this obviously is a highly performance limiting factor for any triathlon and and this also brings me to a point which uh, which i think is quite important let's say you're supposed to go out for an endurance ride where you want to use mostly uh, more uh, the maximum amount of fat that you can for fuel so you're at that 180 to 200 watts 
and maybe are in a group or perhaps you're alone, but you've come up to some Strava segments that you want to do a KOM on and <laughs> you, you do like a two minute, you think, well, it's just two minutes out of my two hour ride. So, so what does it matter? But, but what happens after that, that two minute effort is that you're, you're actually losing a lot more than just that two minutes, because after that, you, you have a lot of lactate that is going to be used preferentially for, for fuel. Exactly. And again, if you are like in this example, if you are in a like, kind of a group ride scenario, or you're, you know, at least you're outside with your buddy or two of two or three other guys, it can differ vastly between those guys, right? Like for one athlete in the Strava segment, uh, he ends up at a lactate production and a lactate concentration, with, which you know shut down, all, uh, you know, sh- shuts down his his fat combustion for ten minutes, and another guy only for two minutes. So. Right. That's, yeah. that's not even then. It's not even those. So what I'm trying to say, even though the effort is maybe the same for all three, four guys in this group, the, the, the effect it has and, 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 the, and yeah, what it, what it does to the fat metabolism can be vastly different between those three guys. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about training and, uh, and, uh, sort of the conclusions we can draw. Uh, about training from from this discussion the first thing uh, that i want to ask about is uh, it's quite common to see workouts prescribed as percentages of ftp uh, but based on discussion that we've had uh, with uh, athletes having highly individual different metabolisms uh, what can we uh, what, what can we talk about and, and what can we conclude uh, based on about that sort of training that is based on purely percentages of ftp yeah i think i think it's important to understand that that percentage of ftp comes like historically comes from percentage of lactate threshold or percentage of any lactate concentration you would see in the lactate profile test in the lab this is like historically where it comes from and it works in terms of a practical application it's a it's a it's a practical way to do things and it works to some extent um on the other hand, it has it has its limitations, and there's a there's a there's a systematic li- impl- uh, limitation which which is implied by it. The FTP or your threshold power is, as we now understand, looking or understanding that's created by VLA max and VO2 max. Your FTP power is not directly related to you know one single metabolic system. So it's not like you can say, I'm training at whatever, 60% of my VO2 max, which implies I put a 60% strain on my system. And this is what it's done in in scientific research, right? If you take out scientific research papers, training intensity are normally prescribed as a percentage of VO2 max because it helps you much better understand how much stress you put on your aerobic system. And if you look to weight training, if you look to if you look to training in the gym, things are based on one repetition maximum, right? And then it is based on this one specific exercise. So you are basing in gym training, for example, you base your uh, intensity or your training for, let's say, um, squats. You base on your one repetition maximum in squatting. Obviously, it's, it sounds stupid, and but it's that simple. You don't base your squat training on your one repetition maximum in the bench press, obviously, because you you understand it's a different system, right? It's upper body muscles versus lower body muscles, and this is a problem with basing your training on FTP. 
it is not a clear link to one or the other metabolic system. So when you train at 110% or 80% of FDP, it is invisible. It is not possible to understand how much stress you put on your aerobic system, on your glycolytic system, or on your fat metabolismic system. Because your fat max can be at 80% of FDP or can be at 65% of FDP. And your VO2 max can be at 120% of FDP or at 145% of FDP. So if you base your system, obviously, if you base your training on FDP, you have no idea, sorry to say, but that's, that's, that's frankly the truth. You have no idea how much stress you put on those systems which affect your FDP. And then you end up having, and this is what you see in reality, uh, you put 10 people or whatever, let's say you put 10 people on the same training program, same percentage of FDP, and what you get as a result, everybody, every coach knows that, but what you get as a result that five people develop in this direction, five people develop in a totally other direction. Because the actual training stimulus they might have gotten out of that um, on the aerobic and glycolytic system can be completely different. Yeah, right. Yeah, uh, so it all comes back to to what we talked about turning the knob that you should be turning based on on your profile. So so if we go into that, then if the knob we need to turn is the VO two max one, and we want to improve that, what are some training methods we can we can use to do that? Well, um, the simple answer is everything. Um, <laughs> the simple answer is that um you know you have to understand that whenever you work out whenever you do endurance training the longer you go the longer the, the, the stress or the stimulus is that you apply to your aerobic system and the harder you go the higher the, the stimulus is so it is known that you know you you can it's it's very well known and very good documented in the peer-reviewed literature you can just increase your training volume Right to a certain extent, obviously, to a certain extent, you just train more, and you will see uh, a good increase in your aerobic capacity on your VO2 max. And lately, obviously, which is at the moment pretty popular, I'd say, is like high intensive training, interval training. Yeah, you increase intensity, and um, your VO2 max will also go up. Uh, maybe not so much in the highly professional, highly trained athletes, but at least in like the average population of like amateur and recreational. So, um, yeah, everything, everything, so to speak, uh, has a stimulus on your VO2 max because whatever you do, you use a system and therefore there's a training stimulus. The more important question, so to speak, and the more difficult question is what training should I preferably doing? Should I if I can, if I can choose, right, because I maybe have to work and have some other things in my daily routine which I need to take care of instead for only triathlon training. Uh, so, so the more important question is, what should I focus on? And there's no easy answer to that. However, however, it is known that depending on what your muscle fiber phenotype is, like you have slow twitch fibers and fast twitch fibers, and depending on how this contribution is, you may react a little bit better to more like the long, slow distance training, or you maybe react a little bit better to like the high intensive interval kind of trainings. And the good thing is that the muscle fiber distribution is a little bit implied also by the VLA max. So we have a lot of coaches who actually use the VLA max to make an informed decision if an athlete will, you know, benefit more from like shorter, high intense efforts or if an athlete benefits most likely a little bit more from, uh, you know, the long, slow distance training. But in general, um, 
you know. So with the more all, with the, with a slow twitch uh, type of athlete, then benefit more from long slow distance training. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. That's what it is. Yeah. Okay, and and VLA max if we want to f- decrease that, which I guess it will be the most common in a triathlon population. How how can we do that? Um. Well, in VLA max, it's a little bit more complicated, um, so to speak. Um, <clears throat> if you if you want to decrease it, uh, even though it maybe sounds stupid, the, the first answer is avoid anything that increases it. It's it sounds a little bit too stupid, simple, but that's really what it is. So what I'm trying to say here is, like I said a couple of minutes ago, for example, gym training, high intense gym training, uh, is a is a very good glycolytic, a very high anaerobic stimulus. So Obviously, you would not, you would not want to include this type of training into a training regime which is targeting a decreasing VLMX, right? You would not do this with anything else. Uh, you would not, you would not um, um, try to prescribe two training methods which uh, which have different stimulus. So the first, the first answer is avoid anything that triggers an increasing VLMX, like gym training. Like sprint training, short, intensive, high, high power sprints. Uh, avoid that. And then, if you are actively trying to decrease it, um, it's important to understand the principle of the glycolysis and understand we have to go a little bit towards the uh, understanding the muscle fiber types. So the vast, the, the vast majority of glycolysis energy, glycolytic energy production is happening in the more fast twitch fibers. Uh, so as we said, there are slow twitch and fast twitch fibers, and the majority of the glycolytic metabolism happens in the fast twitch fibers. Now, the fast twitch fibers have a higher threshold of recruitment, which means if you are only going super easy, right? If you are only going forty percent of your threshold or thirty percent of your to max, like you know, super super easy, you are not recruiting those fibers. And if you are not recruiting the fibers, you cannot expect the fiber to adapt. Right. Similar thing again. Uh, if I go to the gym and I only do leg squats, I cannot, uh, I cannot uh, expect my my upper body to become stronger, right? Because I'm not training it. So the first thing is you have to have a certain minimum amount of training intensity to even recruit those fibers, to even recruit those guys who are responsible for your high lactate production. So this means in a practical application, you need to have a training intensity which is, um, you know. In the range of like 80, 90% of threshold or 70, 65% of VO2 max. This is when you start using those FT fibers. And then you need to provide the stimulus, uh, which allows you to, um, to, yeah, to, to basically have an endurance stimulus. So you cannot go super hard because then you cannot go long enough. This means, um, yeah, this kind of sweet spot, how it's called today or above sweet spot, kind of training a little bit below threshold trying to do some kind of endurance exercises and this intensity um this helps a lot uh if you do this like um uh continuously several times a week over a course of several weeks or months this will help you normally decrease the vlmx and then you can help this a little bit by nutrition right um obviously you can imagine if i'm trying to lower Lactate production and glucose utilization is not a doesn't make a lot of sense to feed myself on a high glucose diet. So what you would do then is I'm not saying no carbohydrates, but you would you would 
try to restrict um, and be mindful about not doing this kind of training with like uh, fully replenished glycogen stores and not like with a fully um, you know carbohydrate substitution, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so in a nutshell, it sounds like uh, if we are trying to improve VO two max. Uh, our training intensity might, distribution might be a bit more polarized, and for the VLA max, it's a bit more uh, all packed in the middle, so to say, sweet spot, and, and that sort of. Yeah, if you want to simplify it like this, um, um, I think it's oversimplified. But to be honest, I think this is one reason why you have people out there saying, "Oh, you need to have polarized training." Right, because it it maybe favors your development of VO two max, and therefore maybe people have um, good experience with that. I've seen good results, and therefore say, yeah, yeah, you need to be polarized training because this allows you to have, like you say, the short intense stuff and the long slow distance stuff. And then you might have another group of people who have done a lot of like sweet spot, medio sub threshold, maybe low RPM strength endurance, carbohydrate restrictive sweet spot training. And have a lot, very good, um, very good experience with that because basically the mechanism here is they lowered the VLM max and therefore they see an increase in endurance performance, and they are proposing that kind of of training. And the truth, actually, how I see it, also from experience and from working with a lot of coaches and a lot of coaching businesses all over the world, is that um, you know, as as always, if you have if you have two. Uh, things you can see in the real world which work there is there must be something right with these two concepts and uh, it seems that the one concept is true because those people who have good experience see a decrease in vlmx and the other people who have a good experience with the polarized training see maybe some good improvements in vo2 max yeah yeah and, and that's also like it's uh, not going to be the same your entire career necessarily maybe that's what you mentioned Don Lodang Jan Frodeno's coach he was here in Lisbon holding a two-day seminar where he talked about a lot of these things uh, last week as we're recording this so uh, late January early February and uh, and what he said uh, very specifically that what worked last year might not work this year so so that, for example, <laughs> let's say you do an entire year of sweet spot that might work, might work fantastic. And but maybe you started at a very high VLA max, and then throughout the year you managed to to lower it. And uh, then maybe it's not the best thing for you to do next year. Maybe that's not the knob that you should you should be turning. Exactly, exactly. And where this goes back to, where this goes back to is also remember what we said that your VLA max implies a little bit of your muscle fiber distribution, and that we said that your muscle fiber distribution dictates. Uh, what is the most effective training for your VO2 max? So what this means is if you do a year of like training which lowered your VLA max, you might see or you will see some extent a shift in muscle fiber distribution. And then therefore, the training, like even if you benefit, let's say you benefit one year from the high intense uh, interval training in terms of increasing VO2 max, now you change your muscle fiber distribution a little bit. And now you would benefit more from some lower intensity, long, slow distance training to increase your VO2 max even further. Mm, right? Yeah, yeah, very good. Uh, so that's this is a mechanism which is going on if you look at recreational amateur athletes um, in a course of like three, four years of training. Um, some people, I've, I mean, I've, I I hear and talk a lot about uh, with, with, with people who get this kind of frustration. I said, you know, I was I was 
I have a I have a background of coaching, not only professionals but coaching and working with recreational amateur athletes for more than ten years, and that's what you see. People have this frustration after three, four years, or five years, or whatsoever. They don't see the same improvements anymore, and and they said, yeah, I, did, I tried this training, I tried this training, and this worked, and now it doesn't work anymore. And the other thing worked before, it also doesn't work anymore. Yeah, because you are lost in between these mechanics and without looking behind the, cur the curtain, so to speak, you don't see what's going on, right? Yeah, exactly. F finally, not necessarily relevant for most triathletes listening to this, but for other endurance athletes that uh, there are some of them listening for sure, like uh, cyclists of various disciplines. If we are in a situation where we want to increase VLA max, can you just quickly cover off some methods for that? Well, same thing around. First answer is avoid anything that decreases it. Right, so avoid your mid-range intensity, low carbohydrate intake endurance exercises. Right, best example, and you talk about cycling. Look at the Tour de France. Um, the sprint on the Champs Elysees on the last week after three weeks um, of of racing, uh, the maximum power is decreased in almost all athletes because their glycolytic capacity is decreased. Why is that? Well. I, Three weeks Tour de France, it's the best recipe to decrease your VLMX because you are never glycogen replenished, right? Even like even one rest day is not enough. You're never glycogen replenished. And you spend a lot of times riding through the mountains, mid-intensity, lowered RPM, which is another good way to increase the recruitment of FT fibers in the mid-range intensity. So avoid this. And then um, look towards this polarized training, right? Avoid this mid-range. Um, either have very low-intensity endurance training. Think about track cycling sprinters. That's what they're doing, right? If they ride outside, very low intensity. And combine this with, you know, high-intense, high-power, high-speed gym training, sprint training. Uh, make sure you're always, always uh, glycogen replenished. Uh, and yeah, Either don't you use your FT fibers, or if you use it, use them in a way where you have this high power output, high glycolytic energy turnover to actually trigger that system uh, to, to increase its capacity. Yeah. And nutrition, you mentioned a little bit about how we can use uh, glycogen non-replenished uh, training and, uh, and replenished to increase and or decrease and increase VLA max. Uh, what are some are some other nutritional considerations or even interventions that we can we can use to help uh, our training goals as it relates to these topics that we've been talking about? Yeah, I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. This is glycogen, I'm, and it's important to understand again that that not that not glycogen replenish is something different than glycogen depleted. Right. So there's a b very big difference. Uh, so so. Let me let me get this straight. Not being completely glycogen replenished is a small add-on. It is really just a little extra, so to speak, in terms of training stimulus to work on the VLMX. Um, besides that, obviously, um, there has been a lot of stories and ideas and concepts around like low carbohydrate training and carbohydrate restricted training and how good of a stimulus this is on your VO2 max. And the truth is that 
on a molecular level, on a you know transcription level, if you look to gene activation, which are involved in mitochondrial biogenesis, this is where it all comes from. And on this level, it works great. If you look at the performance outcome of carbohydrate-restricted, high-fat, low-carbohydrate, or even no-carbohydrate diet, if you look at the performance outcome, especially in not professional athletes, the data is pretty weak in terms of not showing you big improvements. There's a lot of studies recently coming out of the so-called Supernova project from Down Under, um, where you can see that there's no effect. Even if you do paradised paradise nutrition, it's very, very difficult to see an effect. And I'm not saying that it's not working at all. I'm just saying that for the for the audience maybe out there, I would be super, super careful. Because when you look at this data, you can see that out of maybe 20 athletes doing that, in average, it is not working. In average, it's not working. It only works in single athletes. And it's important to understand when you when you read about the professionals doing that, some professional triathletes are doing high-fat diet and some Tour de France winners doing that or whatsoever. It's important to understand that for us working in this area, working in this high-performance sport, we don't care about what the science says if an average a method worked or not. We don't care about if we improve the average performance of an athlete by 5%. We care about improving the performance of this one athlete, of this one Chris Froome by 1%. And there are athletes who react like this to these kind of special nutrition things. And maybe, or for sure, some athletes do, some recreational, some amateur athletes do. But if you want to go down this road to do some specific nutrition regimes, I would strongly recommend to monitor this with like regular VO2max and VLMX assessment or body composition assessments and fat max and so on. Uh, because again, it's becoming very, very popular and it's becoming very popular because people are looking to performance or high performance sports. Uh, but again, the aim and the idea why it's used in high performance sports is totally different. And when I was coaching a professional bike team, we were using these methods. And you mentioned Dan Lorang, he's using these methods in, in Bora, but only with single athletes. There is not this like, oh yeah, let's put everybody on a low carb diet or something. That's normally not happening. Yeah, and you mentioned something there at the beginning that I think is very important. You mentioned it uh, being like a small percentage of the improvements that you can make. So, so if the goal is performance, like we should uh, perhaps put a bit more effort and uh, and mental cognitive energy into thinking about how we train uh, rather than about how exactly how many macronutrients of each uh, or how many yeah. calories of each macronutrient we we eat, since that's going to be the uh, the thing that is of big importance and then nutritional interventions might be the icing on the cake that might work for them. exactly 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 so let's wrap up by you telling us more about your software inside and uh, what what it does and uh, and how it can help athletes to to train with more knowledge and awareness of these things <laughs> well i'm not giving you the sales pitch here um um i mean i 
obviously could do, but I don't see that uh, this way. Um, but yeah, let's 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 explain a little bit what it is. So Insight is a software which launched uh, publicly about one and a half years ago. It, as you mentioned, uh, as we mentioned in, initially, with the swimming federations or swimming teams, uh, it has been it has been used in other sports. Uh, it has been used in professional sports already before. Actually, the methods and the concept and the knowledge behind it um, has been used for more than a decade uh, in different swimming federations and also in professional cycling. You mentioned uh, you mentioned Dan, uh, who you know um, is is one of the guy who embraces uh, these kind of principles uh, in inside. Um, so I'm just trying to say there has been a pretty long track record. And what it basically is, um, on a high level explanation, it is, it is a pretty big, so to speak, uh, algorithms engine, which, which is made of, um, basic fundamental exercise physiology knowledge. So everything you see in inside, uh, comes from several peer reviewed uh, studies, so to speak. Uh, and what it does, it is like, you know, it is a software which is debunking or showing you the composition of the performance of an athlete. So it basically looks, that's why the name is coming from, it looks inside the body, it looks inside your athlete to understand how energy is composed. How is your FTP composed? Aerobic versus anaerobic metabolism. How is your performance sub FTP composed? How much fat do you burn? How much carbohydrate do you burn? Think about um, running and swimming especially it is looking at your running economy it is looking at okay how much energy do you really have that's one question but on the other hand how fast can you run with that same on the bike right how much power do you produce but how fast do you ride with that are you more aerodynamic less aerodynamic uh, so this is all combined in one big software so to speak right body composition is in there so the software is able to tell you uh, how you, sh what you need to do uh, to increase your performance. Should you work on body composition? Should you lose body weight? How much benefit you get from this, let's say, for your marathon time? Should you work on either increasing your VO2 max or work on your running economy? These are the things that the software answers you. Um, and this is what coaches um, for like professional athletes, professional teams, but also for amateur athletes are using it for, right? So it is a software which is used by coaches, by human performance labs, by teams, by federation uh, to analyze the performance of the athlete to understand, like I said, what they should work on, like which field does offer uh, the biggest room for improvement and then use it along the way of training to monitor the progress. Right. Uh, let's say identify. I want to work on my VLA max, for example, and then you create a training program to work on your VLA max, and then you can reuse inside. You can retest uh, and find out. Okay, how efficient is my training going? Uh, how quickly is my athlete dropping his VLA max in order, for example, to increase his fat combustion? Yeah, yeah. And I used it for for about a month now, and I'm super impressed. I've tested myself and and used it in my own training, and as well as with my athletes and. Uh, it's uh, it's definitely eye opening when uh, when you get this inside view of your athlete's metabolism. <laughs> how how much uh, I, I started to realize like how how much you're actually guessing when you don't have this information. It it almost feels feels like cheating, you know, when you when you get this information <laughs> that you didn't have before. <laughs> 
So thank you. Yeah, yeah. but uh, we'll we'll post some links in uh, in the show notes and the episode description so that uh, listeners can go and and check it out in uh, in more detail. Sure. Uh, is there anything else that you want to mention or talk about before we uh, move into the rapid fire questions? Uh, well, I think uh, I maybe have talked already too much. I hope uh, people did not fall uh, fall asleep here. Um, no, I mean if if you if you want to keep keep asking or wrap it up that's fine with me okay so these rapid fire questions uh, should be quick one sentence uh, or so uh, starting with what's your favorite book blog or resource related to endurance sports um i don't think i have one to be honest um there is not that is not one especially when it comes to endurance sports i tend i tend to try to look to other sports and other fields of science and research and try to learn from them and try to learn what others are doing. I have good friends in the world of team sports, of soccer. I go to those kind of conferences, uh, read uh, literature and books from other fields, from, you know, from other sciences. And um, I appreciate that and then think about how this relates maybe to my own field of expertise. And what's the personal habit that's helped you achieve success? Um, honestly, I think uh, endurance sports. Um, the habit of, so to speak, having, um, you know, having having been through uh, training a lot and pushing my own limits and um, staying on the bike longer and staying out there swimming and running because I did triathlon myself. I forgot to mention that uh, and and cycling. Um, you know, learned learn to yeah to really build this stamina and um, don't stop don't give up um, that's maybe um, the most important thing and finally who's somebody in uh, in endurance sports or in any field uh, really that you can choose that you admire and look up to hmm that's difficult i refuse to give you one name um there have been uh, several people uh on my uh, on my way in the, in the last years i have been happy to work with um from a business perspective and from a work perspective i would name somebody like bob stapleton who was my manager at htc uh for sure i had people in the in the science world i i really uh like uh, working with and i've learned a lot from and from a coaching perspective uh the honest answer for example um somebody i i really have a, a high opinion on uh, we mentioned already is dan lorang um it's a little bit funny story he was one of my interns about uh, 10 years ago um, and he was still at university and now he is um, really deep into into coaching uh, not only professional cycling but obviously also triathlon and i think he does uh, he does a tremendous good job there and um i i really respect him for uh, a lot of the skills he has and how he coaches people um you know from a uh, uh, from a also psychological as, uh, aspect and how he approaches things. Um, so even though I have been a coach myself in the similar field, um, I think uh, he's doing a tremendous good job there. Brilliant. Finally, where do you think, where is the best place for people to, to follow you or follow inside uh, social media, website, uh, any outlets that you want to, to plug, feel free to do so. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, Insight has uh, has a, has a Facebook page, and uh, I think also an Instagram, and uh, we also do some things on Twitter. Um, so yeah, feel free to to follow us there. I really invite you to to do so. Um, you will get a mix of um, content, of information, and news and update. And then again, without giving you the sales pitch here for either coaches and athletes, I would really recommend um, the blog. Um, there, there's really some, I think, really valid, uh, content in the blog. And we also starting to do, uh, webinars. You will find some webinars from us. So if you are in our email list, um, mostly all webinars for until now are for free. Even though with people like Dan Lorang or other high profile coaches, uh, all of the world of endurance sports, they do free webinars for us. Um, so follow that. And then you might even see like a, like a learning platform from inside where you can get a lot of information. And so even though, even though again, without, without wanting to give you the sales pitch here, um, I think, uh, especially for triathlon, you will find, you will find a lot of, um, useful information. I hope that you can enjoy in, in the blog on our website. Yeah, no, it's a great blog. I, I've read most of the articles on there and, and the webinars are good as well. I, I've seen quite a few of them. If I can make one request, it is to make the, the recordings available uh, because it's not always possible to, to catch them live. So, so that would be my one request. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's definitely coming. We just published uh, the one recording uh, we had about um, saving time in an Ironman, um, like a, a multidiscipline approach, including aerodynamics and biomech biomechanics. Uh, we just published that two days or three days yeah. ago. Yeah, I saw, I saw, I saw had, that, so I hope that that's yeah. the start of a, of a new trend. Yeah. And there's more coming. Uh, the one with Dan Lorang is going to be published. So yeah, stay tuned for that. Perfect. All right. Thank you so much, Sebastian. It's been a real pleasure talking as, as usual. And, and thank you for sharing your knowledge with the listeners here. I thank you for having me. You have a good one. All right. So that was quite a doozy of an interview, I think. I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did. I spent a ton of time trying to uh, learn about these things in the last few months or so already that uh, that I've been uh, starting to work on with with these concepts that we discussed and I've been in, in touch with Sebastian over uh, already for a year I think is when when I first learned about uh, inside and uh, and first talked with Sebastian of it and how it can potentially have uh, huge huge benefits for for all endurance athletes whether you're professional or age grouper. My key takeaways uh, for you from this episode is that if you don't know your VO2 max and your VLA max, you can make educated guesses for how to improve your performance. And uh, whether you think of performance in terms of FTP or perhaps something like performance at Ironman intensity, uh, but those are still educated guesses when you do know these two. It feels almost like cheating. <laughs> and I know this because uh, that's what I now know for myself and for many of my athletes already that I coach. Uh, now I know which knob to turn, so to say, and it all becomes so much easier and it, it feels absolutely brilliant to be able to have the, the stronger confidence, I guess, in, in the training that you're doing when, when you actually have this, this sort of detailed insight into what your physiology is. You can narrow down your number of options so massively in terms of what training is right and uh, not right for you. So, so as a personal example, I found when I did the testing that my VLA max is already uh, 0.30, so that's perfect for long-distance triathlon. It's uh, I don't want it to go any lower. 
So that means that if I want to improve, I need to improve my VO2 max. And that is exactly what I'm focusing on at the moment. And uh, this means two things for me, uh, focusing on a high volume of training and uh, the quality sessions that I do, I prioritize doing VO2 max intervals. Uh, it doesn't mean for everybody that VO2 max intervals is necessarily the right thing to do. Sebastian talked about the fact that there's a lot of things that can improve VO2 max. But this is my first first line approach, I guess, or the f- number one priority is still the total volume uh, at aerobic intensity, which is everything up to VO2 max. Uh, but uh, now I'm doing this block with VO2 max intervals. I might try threshold intervals next, depending on what I found it, find in my next testing how much i improved or did not improve uh, but uh, but this is how i can narrow down my choices choices significantly at least i know that most likely the sweet spot work that i've been doing so far in my career has uh, uh, probably helped me get that vla max down to a low level uh, but now it is there i don't need to get it any lower so sweet spot training especially sweet spot with low cadence is not necessarily going to be the best thing for me right now when when i want to improve my performance so my i guess short list of things to choose from has become much shorter and uh, and it's all about then just choosing what you what you do and then reassessing and see whether you improve or not and uh, yeah that's what i'm doing right now and i feel very confident in in uh, the way that things are are going i actually feel a lot lot stronger now in my training than i did uh, compared to what i did only three or four weeks ago by the time of this recording and uh, a lot of things have changed and i completely changed my training my bike training at least based on on those results so uh, this episode was uh, quite detailed and as usual you can find the show notes on that and find all of those details if you have comments or questions, then you can leave them on that episode as well. R- remember that I do get a lot of questions already from the athletes that I coach, etc. So I can't so- sort of be a coach to everybody. I try to be a coach to everybody at one time through the Q&A podcasts and the podcast in general. But also the comment section is a place where there is that leverage of uh, sort of anybody can see the questions and get them answered there so that's why i might not be able to answer your question individually except for if you submit it as a podcast question but in the comment section i will be able to get to it uh, as i mentioned also i will link to the q a number 20 which uh, had uh, additional uh, discussions about these topics and uh, also we'll link to the, that video that uh, we talked about that sebastian did at the colorado workshop with inside i also want to mention that uh, by the time you hear this episode i should have my my own remote testing service with the inside software up and running uh, to be clear inside is not a software that athletes can go and sign up for you need to be a coach uh, to be signed up for that and then administer the test to your athletes so I'm signed up for that. I've done the test now for some time with my own coached athletes, but now I'm opening it up to, to anybody. And uh, it's pretty easy. Uh, you can read more about it on scientifictriathlon.com forward slash testing. And I have some videos as well that will explain uh, what you do and, and what you get, what the results are and how you can benefit from it as well. Of course, I'll link to that page in the show notes and it will be available in the menu bar of scientifictriathlon.com as well and i have plenty of information there like a direct comparison with what you get with this type of testing compared to doing lab testing uh, etc so so there's 
all the information should be on that page. But if there's something that you can't find any answers to, then uh, of course, email me or send me a message and uh, with your specific questions, uh, if it's right for you or not. So, and I'll get back to you and we can we can figure out whether whether this is a good way to go for you. And, and it's important to remember, this is a test that you don't need to go to a lab for. You only need your bike and your power meter. You can do it on the road or on the indoor trainer. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a critical power test that you can do virtually. Then you just send in your workout data to me. I do some analysis. Uh, I uh, basically see what the different powers that should be used by the algorithm are. And then I input it into the, the algorithm, into the software. And it does the number crunching and you get a result. And regardless of which sort of pricing level you go for, I have uh, three different levels depending on the amount of uh, individual support you require. But regardless of which package, you will get plenty of information and, and about how to actually apply that information in your training so that you can benefit from it. So it's not just pretty numbers and charts. You will get that information pack with, depending on your scenario, your results, your physiology, what is the training that you should be doing. So that's the whole idea with this testing. And that's something that uh, one of the things, I guess, that you, you would typically not get in a lab. And again, that URL, if you want to go and check it out directly, is scientifictriathlon.com forward slash testing. Big thanks to our sponsor, Precision Hydration, that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Go and take their free online sweat test to find your individual hydration strategy. And use the coupon code, that triathlon show, all one word, all caps. And this will give you your first box if you're a new customer, perhaps from New Zealand or Australia, which Precision Hydration has uh, now started delivering to. Uh, then you'll get your first box for free with that promo code. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.